Welcome to the Process Podcast Reboot. If you've been paying attention, you will know that uh, most of the past Process Podcast episodes were me and a stranger, somebody I maybe vaguely knew or didn't know at all, uh, recording from a distance. I am pleased to announce that uh, I've got a a full-time guest host, a full-time co-host would be the better way to put that. We're here in Denver where the uh, world headquarters of the process is uh, in construction. I'm not being facetious. And I'm with someone I've known for quite some time now. Um, And I'm lucky that uh, she is sharing hosting duties with me. Her name is Katie Carey Levesay, Dr. Katie Carey Levesay. And Katie, I want to warmly welcome you to the podcast and say that I am so glad you're here. But before we get going, I want to know... What do you know? What's your area of expertise? What do I know? Thank you, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, what do I know? I am a clinical psychologist. I have a doctorate in, in psychology with a, a specialty in neuropsychology. Sometimes when I am talking about you, I will forget whether you are a neuropsychologist or a neuroscientist. What is the difference? The difference is in the psychology portion of it. Right. And and it is confusing because most neuropsychologists are trained as scientists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are much more interested in the macro levels of behavior as mm-hmm. opposed to neuroscience, which really gets into the the nitty-gritty cellular molecular level. Okay. I mean that said, we're trained as as behavioral in behavioral neurology much right. more so than a straight clinical psychology degree. Mm-hmm. But think macro level behavior. Okay. Right. How we think, how we feel. So you work with patients some of the time, um, but you've also taught in the past. Is that right? I have. So I was originally doing only science. So Mm -hmm. research, learning and memory. And we primarily study patient populations that have something wrong with the brain. So Mm -hmm. either an injury or an illness process, like a degenerative disorder, like Alzheimer's disease. And that helps us understand these constructs, these behavioral constructs, like learning and memory, like thinking, like problem solving, because we can understand how different people are differentially affected depending on what areas of the brain are Mm. involved. So we're Mm. learning more about the brain. We're learning more about that relationship between the behavior um, and brain. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about that, uh, coming from a medical family and now spending a lot of time reading books on the ways that the brain works, especially when it comes to these ideas of productivity and human performance, which is why we are here, why we are doing this podcast. It's it's continually fascinating to me how little we know um, and how much hubris there was in the past about how much people knew and concordantly how little we probably know according to like how we will look at things 100 years from now. Absolutely. Like if you watch that show uh, with, with Clive Owen um, – where he's a doctor, uh, the Nick from it's a Showtime it. show. And it's set around 1900. And they've basically just discovered how effective cocaine is <laughs> as uh, an anesthetic. Uh, but everybody's using all the cocaine all the time. And it's, I think it's interesting or important to remain humble, all of us, when it comes to the things that we're going to continually talk about on this podcast and, and try to help people with that. Like, here's what the best that we know. This isn't necessarily the final answer. Absolutely. I always liken it to, we are trying to take apart a sports car with those old 
wooden tool sets that we Mm -hmm. all played with as kids. We don't have the technology. It's getting better all the time, but it still often is uh, a best guess scenario. Do you find that, uh, do patients struggle if you give them that caveat? Like, do they want to just have you say, here's the answer or do, or is there a split or how does that go? I think in general, in life, particularly uh, in the work we do, authenticity is always key. Yeah. People don't like to be BSed. They like to understand as much as they can, mm-hmm. but, but to, to be very honest, this is what we know. This is what we know with this certainty. If we can even do this, believe me, if I had a lab test that could tell me mm-hmm. everything I needed to know, I would run it. It would be great if we had those diagnostics measures. Yeah. And we don't. And so there, it, it's really important that people understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's a lot of uh, comfort that comes with things that make sense to all of us in a face valid kind mm-hmm. of way, intuitive way that when connected, even at a macro level to different areas of the brain or how the brain works, even if it's not, uh, set in stone yet but Mm -hmm. by hypotheses and theories people really like that connection yeah yeah and so that's the other thing i do i'm also a psychologist i work with clients who are not do not have brain injury but are unhappy for whatever reason in life living suboptimally Mm -hmm. um, whether they're from a mental health perspective and depressed anxious having relationship difficulties but that's also a really important piece for the work i do with them i'm a cognitive behavioral therapist Mm -hmm. and making that connection with what we know about the brain, mm-hmm. even though it's not everything, and what that means for them in their daily life and yeah. how they think about things and how they are motivated, how they're not motivated. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, those, those behaviors that they know intimately, but now have a better understanding of what's going on mm-hmm. in their brain. Yeah. And, and speaking of behaviors, I think what's... Um worth mentioning is that our dynamic to some degree as as the podcast grows will be a little bit of me coming to you with questions from my behavioral experience, right, of doing a lot of this stuff in sports and writing and other facets, and then asking you questions about what happened or or how does that work? Or I read this thing and is that right? And with that in mind, I, I want to kind of set up what we're going to do today or what we're going to talk about. We have three segments. We're going to get into, uh, we're going to first talk about some wins and losses from our weeks, each of us. Uh, then we're going to talk about the stories we tell ourselves and how we might be able to reframe them. And at the end, we're going to get into neuroscience 101. And it's worth mentioning that our goal is to, as Katie mentioned, to be vulnerable with our own experience such that you can take actionable things away from listening to this podcast uh, with the goal of potentially changing behavior incrementally. We don't want you to put down your headphones and uh, reshape your life in a 180 degree way. We want you to think about like, oh, you know, if they're going through that, then potentially I could do that too. Yes, there are no new thoughts. <laughs> there are no <laughs> None of us are thoughts. unique. That's right. This terminal so uniqueness. let's get into it. What's a win from your week? We're going to talk wins and losses. And when it comes to your productivity or your performance, what's a win from the week that you've had? Uh, A win from the week I had was meeting my weekly writing goals, Mm. something I'm working with with you on and being able to write every day Mm -hmm. despite traveling with Mm -hmm. my family. Yeah. And what was the biggest struggle when it came to that? Because you were on a trip where you were picking up daughter from camp and going to see 
father-in-law, et cetera. Like what was the, what was the one thing that caused the most in terms of obstacles? Other than having way too many bodies in one room, all mm-hmm. bodies that need something simultaneously and differently and mm-hmm. constantly. It was the lack of structure, the lack of control I had over my day mm-hmm. compared to what I typically have over my day. Mm-hmm. So I am not an inherently organized person. I very much need structure, schedules, things to be pretty consistent, typically Mm -hmm. for me to be successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think there are those scaffolding elements that help all of us and that are important. But this was a good opportunity for me to not have that scaffolding there and yet still find success. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about about that now. What was the scaffolding that you built internally or with your days? Yeah. So I figured out pretty quickly that if I can bundle my writing work Mm -hmm. with something I'm already doing, we call that habit stacking, something I do every morning, which uh, I have a meditation practice and I do that morning. I'm very good at getting that done. That's not hard to do. So I bundled the writing Mm. right after that. Mm, So lots of advantages to that. Uh, Not only are, again, we are associating with something we're doing pretty easily, but it also was first thing in the morning. It doesn't give me a lot of time for that decision fatigue or to let other things come into play that may distract me. Mm -hmm. And it also, as I reflected back, I think the meditative experience in and of itself really helped with my framing of the writing. Mm. And there was also a reframe in that too, in that instead of looking at writing as needing to produce this earth shattering content, my reframe is looking at it as I'm building this habit. Mm. And what Mm -hmm. meditation does for me is it gives you that experience and that space to sit with whatever's coming and accept it Mm -hmm. and no judgment. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm distracted. I don't, I wrote well today. The writing came out, it flowed. It didn't, I think that really translated and worked. So it was a structure I didn't have a lot of other things going on at that time, mm-hmm. other than snoring and um, <laughs> covers being thrown off the bed for my children. Uh, but it was also that sense of, of 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 being able to flow right into that, mm. and that was really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I of course think about this stuff all the time because I think, sort of like you, I'm not naturally organized, and so it it requires a lot of creation of this scaffolding that you mentioned. And I think that's one thing that um, is worth noting for people because sometimes people feel like I don't want to be an automaton Mm -hmm. or automaton or however people Mm -hmm. have decided we should say that. Uh, But what I think is really fascinating when you build these scaffolds is that then the bloom of the moment happens between them, right? Yes. And that that's it's it's a tricky thing to explain to people, but that's kind of what we talk about at the process all the time. This idea that like building this structure then allows for this creativity to bloom in those moments. Yes, it's it's you're creating that bandwidth because you're you're taking for example the choice out of it in a lot of ways. I have this, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to make the decision at the time that this is a priority over something else. Sometimes we do. Mm-hmm. But the more we can take those extraneous Uh, uncontrollable situations out and we go, we have the bandwidth then to Mm -hmm. be creative, to not have to worry about it Mm -hmm. as much. Uh, My win from the week, I'm consistently talking to people about trying experiments, right? So like if you want to change your diet, you don't say I'm going to do this for six months. You say, I'm going to try this for a week. And so I, um, partially because it, 
comes naturally to me to be addicted to working out, but also because I've had so many injuries that it's just sort of required that I be working out. I haven't really been able to go to a gym for 18 months, um, which was exacerbated because having just moved to here to Denver, I've moved into a new apartment complex whose gym was not finished and they finally got it done. They finally opened it last week. And I of course wanted to race this week into doing everything, right? just having it all come back like Charlie at the chocolate factory, I suppose. I think but you I was, may be the only person in the world <laughs> that <laughs> felt that way. <laughs> yes, so, that sees the gym as a chocolate <laughs> factory. Not enjoyable. Uh, but I was I was pleased with myself because on Sunday I, I set out a plan of like you're just going to work out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and here are the only lifts you can do, and here's the all the time you can try out. And I've noticed that so far I am not as completely exhausted as I might otherwise be. And I'm probably more likely to continue this next yes. week, right? Yes. Because I've given myself the sort of uh, tolerance, I guess, on either end of this. Like, well, if it's a little too much, then I'll back off or vice yes. versa. That, that's good. Yeah. So that's, that's today's win or this week's win. What about a loss for you? Oh, boy. <laughs> so, took a lot of Speaking of, of diet and exercise, uh, the complete obliteration of both of those things for me. Mm. So I uh, always struggle with eating what I should be eating. And I've been really focused on that and working on that in, in very much the same way you're talking about. Step by step, not trying. I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known what to do for a long time. Uh, so it's a lot of it is behavior. A lot of it is structure. A lot of it is trying to deal with leftover chicken nuggets and mac and cheese and what everybody else wants to eat in the family, time commitment. But I got in a really good groove there Mm. on vacation. And I know on vacation we all fall off, but oh boy, did we fall off. (laughs) Oh boy. We are talking, I mean, we're in the Midwest, Paul, you know. So I think uh, meatloaf Alfredo was a special (laughs) one night. And the appetizer was, uh, they called them crumblies. Crumblies? So they're Literally the fryer dregs. Oh, <laughs> no meat, no substance yeah. in. And yes, they were delightful. Yeah. So, I bet. coming back from that, what is your plan of attack mm-hmm. as far as, you know, getting back into some sort of better? Can we non- table that for a minute? Non- because that's going to be about that. That's going to tie into, I think I've just decided this on the spot okay. to the stories we tell. And right. I know that's the new segment. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to okay. that. It's a good teaser. Yes. Um, Yes. So I'm thinking losses from my week. Um, a bit of self-talk stuff. Mm. So I, um, my area. I really fight with, um, the feeling often that I'm not getting enough done, uh, or that, um, I'm sort of spinning my wheels a fair bit. Like that sense of, I've done a lot in the last, I guess, eight months now of kind of restructuring my life, moving from Los Angeles to Denver, uh, shutting down one business, starting another business in a way, like going through the transition that is natural when you are building new relationships, new friendships, etc. And I think I've been struggling this week or was struggling this week with, um, being really hard on myself in a kind of perfectionist way of like, my life used to look like this. Now it looks like this other, and that doesn't feel very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's been, um, I think just something that is not acute to me. Lots of people are dealing with that, right? Like life looks different now in whatever way. Um, and so that's been kind of my fight this week has just been 
one that is a continual fight of I'm not doing this well enough. I'm not good enough. Um, and so that's been a struggle. Absolutely. And I love that you use that example because as we talk, we, we first on our wins talked about the behavioral mm-hmm. side of things, mm-hmm. how we, we can access our behavior, our well-being from really three different points. Because the brain does essentially three things mm-hmm. if you boil it all down. Right. We think about stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Our cognitive, our self-talk, the meanings we're assigning to the world. We feel things, mm-hmm. right? our moods, and then our behavior. Mm-hmm. And so one entry point into change, good or bad, is that behavior point. How can I structure things, my scaffolding, my scheduling, those things? And another entry point always to look at as well is the cognitive side. Mm-hmm. We could have, like again, the greatest structure scheduled put in place and then have to go on a 12-day vacation with your family where that is blown away. Mm-hmm. And so how then can we access entry point of the cognitive side of things? Mm-hmm. Always good to look at those things in combination. Which I think is a great segue into the stories we tell, yes. right? Because one of the things that I've learned from going to a lot of therapy <laughs> is to <laughs> challenge the stories that I tell myself. So for me, one of those things has was always in sports. For those that are not familiar, I played professional basketball for 10 years, but that was preceded by college basketball and, and fairly high-level youth basketball. And one of the ways that I would motivate myself was, you're a piece of shit, <laughs> right? So like if I failed at something, like I we lost a game or I just didn't do something right in the game, I would allow that to spiral into a catastrophization of it that read as you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I've had to learn over time is to challenge that belief and and reframe it as you just had a bad day or a bad shot or whatever it is, or it's or it's neither good nor bad. Right. Right, which is one of the interesting things. So let's And you're a piece that, of shit, by the way, is really motivating. It, it's People so, say and we that a lot of us learn mm-hmm. early on how to motivate ourselves that way out of fear, out of what's going wrong, mm-hmm. anger can be very motivating. The whole point is yeah. so can happiness and joy right. and peace of mind is just as motivating. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's like comparing a, a sugar-filled diet with a an actually effective diet, right? Mm-hmm. Like sugar does give you a little high mm-hmm. and it can boost you, um, but it is detrimental over the long over term. Over the long term. So let's talk stories we told ourselves. Okay. Or the stories we tell is, uh, is the name of our um, Just Spawned segment. What's a story you want to reframe? Yeah, so again discussing my uh, eating foray in the um, Midwest. Mm -hmm. I did not eat well. I started out okay, making choices. And then it it just, it went off the rails. And so immediately, not shockingly, the self-talk came in for me, right? Mm -hmm. Here were the stories I was telling. I am not disciplined. I have no willpower when it comes to eating and food. How many times have I tried this? Here it goes again. It's out the window. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm stressed. Then the stories became, I'm doing several stories, but I promise there will be this overall theme. The story became, okay, now I'm off, now I'm off the reservation, totally off the bench. Why don't I continue on? Yeah. (laughs) And I know, again, not a unique thought. Coach has already kicked me off the team. So I might as well burn the school down. Absolutely. Bobby Knight has thrown his chair at me. I am, I'm in, right? right. I am just, uh, I'm gone. No more. And so not shockingly, that has impact, right? Mm-hmm. Everything we think, every story we tell impacts not only our mood, but our behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so not a helpful story. Right. 
And here's the thing I want to say. So when we go through these stories, what's really helpful, the reframing piece is obviously the aha piece. And we can, if you go back to the brain correlates, we think of it as really rewiring neuroplasticity. We can talk about all of that in segments to come, Mm -hmm. but that's where a lot of the magic happens, but we can't go right there. Mm -hmm. It's like the affirmation stuff. There is evidence to say, if I just put a positive thought in my head, if I just turn, turn this around and think positively, tell myself how great I am, there's evidence to say we feel a little bit better, but it's harder to sustain that lastingly. Right. So one really important step in this is when we're And the biggest step is identifying these stories. A lot of people struggle with that. So awareness. What am I telling myself? Entry points there. How If I'm feeling crappy for whatever reason, sad, down, angry, that's Mm -hmm. an entry point. What's my story? We work backwards from there. Or our behavior. I'm eating everything that's put in front of me regardless of how appetizing it is. Mm -hmm. Um, That's behavior. I'm avoiding something. Another behavior we can work our way back to. Find that story, number one. And then examine the impact of it before Mm. we go to the reframe. Mm, So when I'm thinking to myself, I'm a piece of shit because I'm not playing well or I had a bad game or I have no discipline, no willpower. Here I go again, back to square one. What impact does that have on, you know, me emotionally, mood, Mm -hmm. not feeling all that confident, Mm -hmm. feeling down. (laughs) (laughs) How does that impact my behavior? When I'm not feeling confident, I'm not feeling good. I'm avoiding, distancing myself, whatever. I don't care. Right. Not being very aware. Uh, and and as, as much of detail we can go in there, it's not fun. It's not a fun place to be to examine that discomfort, but it's important mm-hmm. to see that impact. Yeah. And then when we reframe, really finding authentic reasons. It's not just, oh, yeah, I do have willpower. <laughs> I've got to find really authentic reasons, mm-hmm. genuine reasons why, and then look at the impact of those. So reasons like uh, historical evidence or what? what is Yeah, the- so so many areas you can reframe. So one okay. really easy one is to take the exact opposite of whatever your self-belief is. Mm-hmm. So I have no willpower. I have no discipline. Mm-hmm. Okay, again, I examine the impact. It doesn't do me any good. All right, let me find some evidence of how I did have some willpower. And if you can keep it as close mm-hmm. to the very thing you're talking about, how did I have some willpower right. on this vacation? Right. Well, I could have gone with seven slices of pepperoni pizza as opposed to five. <laughs> right. Okay, I yeah. can start there. Mm-hmm. And if that's not doing the trick, again, searching, how else was I disciplined? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't throw everything out the window. Mm-hmm. I also did my writing goals. That was good. Mm-hmm. So you can turn it around to the opposite level, really right. finding evidence to the contrary. Okay. Um, here's another one. How was I better off because I went off the reservation? How was I better off? Mm. Oh, right. So so that would, yeah, maybe aim it towards a little bit of forgiveness. There was a reason for this behavior. It's always, it's always reasons, right? right? It's just depending on which reason we want to go with. Mm-hmm. So how was I better off? I it How awful <laughs> Sick and just disgusting I felt cognitively, energy-wise, that realization was good information for me. We always talk about the relationship between eating and how we feel, behaviorally, how we sleep or don't sleep, how we think. I really saw that connection. Mm. Sometimes we need that reminder for that really to, to, to fit in. Mm, yeah. uh, and it, it then it makes when you are eating better mm-hmm. – it, it helps you become that much more aware of that. So that contrast, that helped me out. That makes a lot of sense. I think, it, you know, it's it's sort of, you were mentioning that it could be effective to just say, no, I'm not that way. Mm-hmm. And that kind of takes 
that takes the in my brain the the metaphor of like a a bandage yes. of just like a quick fix of yes. like well I'm just reversing it and saying like no I do have willpower that like yeah that might work in the moment but when it comes to this kind of thing that you're talking about it's getting in there and really disinfecting the wound yes. and then setting the break as it were. I love and then that. Like, love like that metaphor. Actually doing the surgery to figure out like what, cause one of the things that, that you mentioned that I like is this idea of um, what was the, the good that came out of it. Right. So like that's, that's a sort of advanced level. Yeah. The easy one really is to just say, no, I'm not that way. Mm-hmm. And not that that's easy for some of us. That can be that really can be hard. hard. Yeah. But that's a that's sort of level one. It's mm-hmm. this like level three version of like saying that there was a good reason for it, right? Yes. You were on med- vacation. Yeah, exactly. Being a good one, right? Yeah. It's it's meditative work. It's not easy work. Mm-hmm. And when we think about it, the thought processes, these same stories we've been telling for a long time, we're really good at them. They're automatic, they're strong, they're fierce, yeah. they go off quickly with any cue. We've got to do equal amount of work. We're building a detour here. Mm-hmm. We've got to build that road. It takes time. We it has to be authentic. It has to be work and it's gonna come up again. So the mm-hmm. next time this comes up, let me find another reason. Let me right. look at this in another way. Oh, it, it failing at anything or not doing well gives me the opportunity to then come back and start at it again. Great. Look, Mm -hmm. I am that much further along. Yeah. Not to belabor the metaphor, but in the same way that a bone is stronger after it has been broken and healed, right? It sucks for three weeks or six weeks or whatever it is, but eventually you rehab it back to something that is maybe better than even stronger. I love belaboring good metaphors. (laughs) Don't let go. All right. Tell me one of your stories. Um, I was, uh, at the pool la- uh, 10 days ago, because they, uh, as I mentioned, opened my apartment complex. We have this amazing rooftop pool, which is like nothing that I've ever lived in, especially coming from Los Angeles, where I lived in not the ghetto exactly, but it, it weren't great. Um, so I was, I was loving that experience. But then um, soon after that, uh, I made friends with this dude that I met there. And, um, he mentioned something about how there were a couple of girls that had, we had met and they'd come back to my apartment happens to be on the same floor as the uh, pool. We had gone back to my place, got some wine, went back to the pool. It was a whole Saturday afternoon. Right. And I got contrast of our lives. (laughs) So this dude that I was hanging out with mentioned that, um, we had all, we're, you know, we're all getting to know each other. Everybody's moving into this apartment complex at the same time, which makes it like college in a way. Um, and so I, um, was after the fact befriending people on Facebook and getting friend requests and all that stuff. That's very, not necessarily of our time, maybe of about four years ago. I was actually kind of interested that that many people still had Facebook. Um, anyway, this dude that I was hanging out with, uh, it turns out had gone home with one of these girls. And so I had like friend requested one of these girls and they had all been giggling because I was old. <gasps> and that hit me like <laughs> real right in the gut. Cause one of the things that I face uh, a lot Paul. in my life is that I, did this whole detour into an entirely different career and lifestyle of, and when I say lifestyle, I think people often think like, well, you were a raging professional athlete. And really it was more militaristic than people realized. It was a lot of saying no to things because I needed to focus on the sports that I was playing. Yeah. And so you were not at rooftop pools. I was not a rooftop pool sitter ever in my life before about age 32. Um, And so that uh, gutted me pretty good. Even though I had, 
you know, I've done a lot of work on this very subject because it's something that comes up a lot. People will see me and they're like, how are you not married? How do you not have a family? And I then have to be like, I don't know is my first response. And then I have to, like we were talking about this idea of historical evidence. Yes. I go back and say, well, actually there's been a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's mm-hmm. been a lot of things. So what's so, the story? So I'm the story, old and I'm what does old, that mean? I'm old and I'm decrepit. I'm behind other people. I will never have the things that other people get when it comes to love and relationships and uh, family, those kinds of things. Oh my goodness. So that one, you know, that's a pretty multi-levels base thing. level, like uh, schema mm-hmm. as it were yes. um, to get activated. Um, and it, and it took like, it was interesting because when it happened, I was like, Oh, I know how to deal with this. I'm an expert because I've been to therapy, but it definitely sat and kind of like squirreled away at me a little bit. Love it when that happens. You know why? <laughs> why? Because that is our alarm that there's still work to be done. It's like, oh, yeah. yes. Oh my gosh. I just got there's still that gutted feeling again. Yeah. Yay. I get to go back and, and you know, clean a little bit more out of our wound. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm old. I'm behind everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's the story. So what was, how did I reframe it? How do you feel? What happens to you emotionally when that happens? That gutted feeling. It is a curling up feeling of like, instead of my, at my best, I think I'm in a very literal way. Shoulders are thrown back, sort of um, moving through the world as if a, as if a ship's prow, right? Like just kind of carving my way through the world. And this causes your shoulders to kind of dip in a sense of like, I want to protect the viscera as it were. Um, so it, it does feel like an actual, uh, blow to the body yeah. in a way, right? Like that sense of, oh, there's something deeply wrong yeah. with me. And I love how you explained your emotions physically. Yeah. That's, so what are the emotions? I think it's fear. Fear. Right. Fear yep. of that. This, this thing that other people get, mm-hmm. I don't get that mm-hmm. there's, there's something, um, there's, I think. I don't know if self-loathing is an emotion exactly. Yeah, we but can use that. It, that one kind of goes in there. Yeah. And there's a little bit of uh, sadness and or regret, right? Yeah. Of um, thinking, what should I have done differently? Did I do something yeah. wrong? Um, Absolutely. And, and and again, the importance of connecting that physical response with our emotions, it's another way to help us with awareness. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're feeling distressed or we're feeling something in our body. We can access the emotion there, but it also helps us with the emotions. There's thousands of emotion words. Despite mm. being a psychologist for so long, I had the worst emotional vocabulary. I just felt icky. Yeah, or yeah. Not great or fine or not good. And it it's so it's so imperative that we really take some time here again in this painful spot understanding these emotions, the impact they have on our body. So the emotional impact other cognitions, right? Mm-hmm. We are hardwired to detect threat. I will come back to this all the time. Mm -hmm. Safety. It makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. If we're not, we're not here anymore. We don't have a lot of actual threat anymore. Mm -hmm. So judgment, these stories, those are our manufactured threats. That's what's threatening. So Mm -hmm. we're hardwired to detect that. And we find all the evidence we can to make that right. Because it's worse to be unprepared. It's worse to not survive. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, all these things I've missed out on, my other cognitions, everybody else comparing finding a lot of evidence. And the other thing is you said it yourself, this is something I've dealt with a long time. These core issues, mm-hmm. a lot of practice of finding evidence for it. So again, this meditative work of really looking for other evidence is important, but we've got to examine the impact. So when you're curled up, mm-hmm. 
You're not upset, great. Yeah. not good, you're afraid, the mm-hmm. self-loathing, and we're looking for all of this evidence to back it up. We'd rather be right than happy. Mm-hmm. And how does that affect your behavior? I think I was just more afraid to take chances. That was the the big one. So yeah. I'm, you know, I, I talk a lot about the importance of one of the great things that sports did for me was to show me how wonderful it can be to take chances, right? Like in, in a sports metaphor, like thinking about just shoot the shot, like go foul the guy when he's going to the basket, whatever it is, there's a lot of immediate rewards for those taking chances. And so I felt in my life, a sense of wanting to kind of huddle up and shrink. Of course. So what we do it's physiologically, what happens when we're afraid? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was a lot of that of like, you know, maybe I should, uh, take it down a notch, like stop taking as many chances, which is just not really me. It's and not it's, authentic. Right. It's, it's not, not authentic. And authenticity, always our goal. Mm-hmm. And this takes us away from it, again, from a really understandable, rational place. I'm believing I'm old and decrepit, that right. I ha- I'm not up with everybody else. They have something I don't. It makes sense. Yeah. And that's the other really important thing for people. It's hard to do this work, to look at this, because we want to judge it. We mm-hmm. want to say it's stupid. I know that's not true and not sit with this or feel guilty or ashamed that we're having these thoughts. doesn't do anything. All of our thoughts make sense from an evolutionary perspective or a developmental perspective, given our experiences. Mm-hmm. We make sense of the world initially with brains that are really underdeveloped. We make a lot of thinking errors, a lot yeah. of schema errors. Yeah, because, yeah, we're, so what you're saying is we're just... It's almost like we need to be working backwards. Yes, we need a Benjamin always. Button situation yes. where we could have the wisdom and then participate and then in the behaviors. make sense of the world. Right. Sign meaning, associative learning. We don't do that with intact mm. brains mm-hmm. at, at a young level. We do it with emotional brains. And that's why we have to look at the emotional side of things. Right, right. Okay. So, and then the behavior, I retract, I don't take chances. And then what happens? It just reinforces all of that, right. all of those cognitions. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. So the next step quickly, we... In your visualization initially of how you feel when mm-hmm. you are on top of the world, right? Shoulders back, taking on the world. That's where we have to go. Really right. important, this visualization. It's not some woo-woo stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of myself. I'm not cursing. <laughs> it really is. We know that we have neurons firing in our brain when we're just observing things, when we're imagining things. Mm-hmm. Neuroplasticity, reforming, rewiring is taking place mm-hmm. even when we're just imagining. So to be yeah. able to see ourselves not thinking that. How mm-hmm. do I feel when I do not think that? I am confident. What else? What do I feel? Um, I, f- I think for me, there's also um, physical uh, manifestations. I think you know we were mentioning earlier past injuries and stuff for me a lot of times if i am not right then i will actually feel pain in parts of my body that have been injured in a physical way before fascinating right it's so i mean at some point we will have our uh, fellow friend brad uh into uh, as a guest on the podcast but some of the stuff he does with physical therapy, dry needling, but he's also really interested. Uh, Last time I saw him, he was reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is about Mm. the ways that your body kind of just like holds on to these physical traumas. Um, So for me, that can manifest as uh, GI stuff, back pain, um, other muscular stuff based on the many broken bones I've sustained in my life, where your body is, is basically... I mean, I don't know what, I guess I don't know why that's happening, but it does feel like it's aging you 
almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally. Yes. It's like, yes. hey, you want to think you're getting old? Here's a little side pain mm-hmm. that's mysterious. Yeah. That yeah. could be related to when you had your kidney and spleen exploded, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so fascinating, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's and so to to get to where I was able to reframe it, it did come back to, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but it came back to the behavior, right? So on Friday night, I I just bought a new pair of boots this last week. I um as a tall person can very easily make a spectacle of myself. Um, I put on a, a white shirt and a tie and just went out for an adventure yes. by myself. Right. And just said like, you know what? I'm going to kind of, it was almost like I'm climbing back onto the ladder. Mm-hmm. Like let's test out some of this stuff, you yep. know? And so I, I was going to go to this uh, bar that a friend of mine had recommended. It turned out to be raining outside. So I had to stop in at a bar that's closer to my house I knew the bartender vaguely from the other two times that I'd been there and mm-hmm. he was really nice to me. And I was like, Oh, this, you know, I'm connecting with this guy. Yep. I met a couple other people and took them to the bar with me. Mm-hmm. Um, then came back and was like doing DJing the, uh, the machine. What are those called? The, uh, it was a jukebox. Duh. Uh, and met a dude who played basketball at the university of Oklahoma and oh we gosh. like hit it off and became friends and yeah. exchanged numbers. And it, it turned into like a really wonderful night of um, just being me, right? Yeah. Just being okay with like, I don't really give a shit how old people think I am yes. because I'm able to look someone in the eye and make friends with them, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a power I've developed over the years. So it it required a little bit of behavioral intervention, mm-hmm. I suppose, if that yes. makes sense. And that, you know, you sort of, not shockingly, leapfrogged over what most of us struggle with. So you got to, behavioral intervention is is the end goal is the key for most of us in rewiring. We've got mm. to experience that things are different in the world. And yeah. you went out and you experienced that. Most of us, when we're dealing with I'm old and decrepit and everyone is ahead of me and I'm missing out on everything else that everyone else has, we don't put our boots on and go <laughs> to the bar because we're right. still stuck here. We have to do some of that cognitive reframing. Mm-hmm. So how am I better off that I am older? What is that? What, what does that give me that yeah. doesn't make me... Yeah. And I think that's like, that's probably the shortcuts for me are thanks to therapy. Yeah. Right. Like, so, so now that it's comes doing, it's like, that, and that's the power I think of what you're talking about when it comes to sitting with these things or coming up with the detour back is that you start to get quicker at it. It doesn't mean that you don't go through the steps. It's just that you start to be like, okay, so we're going to do this now. And then we're going to do that. It becomes instinctive. You the are building thing. those pathways. They're stronger than the initial ones. And the, right. the the problem is it takes time. Like with any other habit, it takes time. It takes discipline. It takes repetition. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, always easy. Yeah. But absolutely. Then we're just sort we're we're firing on those circuits. Mm-hmm. Those are what, what eventually start happening mm-hmm. instinctively. Yeah. Okay. Let's finish up with a little neuroscience 101. All right. Katie. So I, uh, each time that we do neuroscience 101, we'll see if it comes back. Maybe a one-time thing. Okay. Each time that we do this, I'm going to come with a question as if I'm a third grader. Okay. And you're going to tell me what's going on behind the scenes. So here's some evidence that you're not old and decrepit. (laughs) Use that for your next turnaround there. So, okay. One thing I notice about myself, I am... Pretty good at setting out goals for the week. I'm uh, 
I've become really good at starting off my days with the same sorts of things that you were talking about, meditation, getting my writing in, doing some exercise, all of the little stuff that I think helps me sort of scoot through my day. But one thing I've been noticing recently is that I often run out of gas at the end of the week, even for the most mundane tasks, right? It could be somebody says, just email me back. Even for or especially for, would you Um, say? Well, it's, I guess what I, I think what I'm saying is that I have learned not to expect full flow state at 4 p.m. on Friday. Like okay. I'm not going to save my heavy writing or, you know, business work or, or whatever that might be for that time because I know that I'm pretty tapped out. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like I should be able to muster the energy to respond to somebody on Instagram. But even that just becomes exhausting. The prospect of it becomes exhausting. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in my brain? Well, a lot of things happen, right? (laughs) Pure exhaustion. I think we have these, uh, again, stories we tell that we have unlimited energy, that our energy should be the same throughout the day, throughout the week, Mm -hmm. depending on how many hours we slept, what we're eating, all of those things impact us. Right. Uh, And when we have that belief that I should have this constant source of energy, setting us up for expectation Mm -hmm. nightmares. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's problematic in itself. What's interesting to me is this sense of, and I may not be answering your question at all, but the mundane tasks. And oftentimes we lose energy because we look at so many tasks as mundane mm. and routine and not exciting. Right. And doing that over a course of a week probably takes its toll and adds to that cognitive load that mm-hmm. we're carrying around. So many things feel like work. And by right. the time I get to the end of the week, mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. So so is it a reservoir? Like, Because to me, it feels like I'm on empty a mm-hmm. little bit. But there are, of course, ways to recharge that. Sure. Um, I do think it is a a reservoir. I think it's important to be aware of what's draining that reservoir. And again, mm -hmm. sometimes it's just life. It's not a lot of sleep. It's getting through the week. It's having a lot going on. But the real drain on our reservoir often is these stories. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of stuff that is menial or mundane or boring. Mm -hmm. And I've got to gut it through or I've got to figure out a way to sandwich it into other things that are exciting. And that takes a drain in and of itself. There are tasks in this world that are inherently, intrinsically rewarding and fun and motivating. I would say that it didn't feel as much effort for you to go out in your boots to the bar once you got through your your storytelling right. than it would to be answering email or doing your laundry mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And so there is something about the task specificity there. And it's important to remember that our brains hardwired for being attracted to novelty, mm-hmm. new situations mm-hmm. that are inherently intrinsically rewarding. Yeah. Why why do you think from an evolutionary perspective are we hardwired to be attracted to novelty? Man, that is a good question. Why are we hardwired to be attracted to novelty? Um I mean it makes life cooler. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's again intrinsically motivating. Yeah. It's interesting. There's potential reward there. Okay. We we learn when things are novel. Mm-hmm. Uh we problem solve. Also the threat aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, think back when if something new came into your village, you right. better figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. And novel tasks take a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It's like the first time we drive somewhere. You are paying attention to everything. Mm-hmm. Again, from a threat perspective back in the day, I want to know 
everything I'm seeing, every, as much information as I can from every sensory organ, every detail, I'm going to process this. It's mm-hmm. new. Uh, and good because we want to know as much as we can, but also from a fun perspective, when we're learning something new or problem solving, we haven't seen this before. All, all, everything has to be on deck in the mm-hmm. brain aspects that can take time off if it's a task that we don't usually have to do. Right. Um, and it's a good thing that, we do a lot of stuff on autopilot because then we have the reservoir or the reserve to approach novel tasks. If we were continually captivated with the mundane things that we see every day, we wouldn't get anything done mm-hmm. and we would be exhausted. I think we would feel that depletion of of that reservoir. Mm-hmm. So there's some inherent tasks that are more novel, easier for us to do to find that energy and motivation. The mundane everyday tasks that in and of themselves don't feel that rewarding, a lot tougher. And it just means we have to work a little bit harder there, Mm -hmm. I think, if we want to maintain more of our reservoir. So how am I looking at, what's a mundane task that feels really tedious, especially on Friday? Um, It could be like, let's say I need to set up an event for the process Mm -hmm. on Facebook, right? And so I I know that like, it's not going to be that hard. I probably already have the graphics and the, maybe I have to come up with some copy Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, But it's that, that seems like, oh, it's just a bunch of steps. Okay. It's not like I'm percolating on some new idea. It's just, I have to execute this small thing. I have to execute this small thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it feels exhausting because it's Friday. Yeah, I just I think it's it it's also partially that I know it's not that hard, but it is it is seems intimidating to me. Okay. Yeah. So there's two things at play. Again, another story. Right. Great, great point. Anytime we're avoiding, really good chance to say, what am I telling myself about this? This mm-hmm. has to be executed in a certain way, an effective way. What happens when, you know, if it doesn't go this well, the perfectionistic stuff, great way to start down that path again, <laughs> right. of really looking right. at that. It's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. But there's also this just, yeah, it's just not as fun to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm washing my clothes or having to scrub a toilet, right? Not intrinsically all that motivating, even without that extra storytelling cognitive load. Mm -hmm. So we just have to work a little bit harder. Yeah. And to me, what what is coming to mind, and and I guess what I would tell myself if I were on the outside is when those things are happening to then figure out what, how can I turn this into an exciting or novel experience, right? So like it's Friday afternoon. I know habitually that I run out of gas. So this Friday, I'm going to go to a one of the 7,000 breweries in Denver. And I'm going to have two beers while I do the tasks that have caught up at the end of the week, right? Yes. Because it's a place that's new and it's I've new. never experienced that yes. place. And at least that gives me that thing to look forward to. Yes. That's not creating this thing. And I, you know, I might get to talk to a stranger or, or whatever that situation. might Yes. Be. How do I look at this in a new way? Mm-hmm. How can I be curious about this thing that is, I'm not that curious about anymore. Right, right. I love that. How do I make it more rewarding? How do I associate things that I like to do with it? How do mm-hmm. I bundle it with things I like to do with it? It just takes a little bit more work. And yes. we only have to do that, again, if we're feeling drained mm-hmm. by something. And when you right. think about it, I yeah, if we just get through our... A behavioral response to that is do all my mundane, boring tasks early in the day, get them done, early in the week, get them done. And that's mm-hmm. a behavior, an effective behavioral strategy. But then when we look at the moments of our day that we're just 
getting stuff done, it catches up with us. I think that's a lot of the fatigue. So finding these ways, I love that idea. Mm -hmm. How else? How can I look at this in a different way? How can I be grateful? I have the chance to do this. This reminds me of my bigger picture, my goals, why this is meaningful. This reminds me of qualities that I have that I may not be looking forward to doing this, but I get to do this. Mm -hmm. I've created this amazing company I'm excited about and product and this is exciting. It makes a lot of sense. It, I, you know, in talking about the fatigue that comes at the end of the week, I think it's also valuable to uh, remember that the dinner party you may have hosted on Wednesday also took something out of you. So, like sometimes yes. I think we, there's a bit of guilt we have where we're like, well, it shouldn't have been tiring that I got to play poker with my friends, but that was a vital part of your week. Yep. It's a vital part of your existence as a human. And so therefore it does count. And so if you are tired on Friday, that's okay too. That's lovely. And that's uh, next week, maybe, or when we do this again, I'm going to challenge your story of I'm not getting enough done. (laughs) That is exactly what we do for it. We have to have the same level of energy, the same level of productivity, anything less than is not okay. So it's that cognitive piece and then the very real intrinsically motivating piece. And you know what? It may seem like a lot of work to have to find new and exciting ways to look at everything, but it's a lot more work to feel bored and Mm, run down and feeling like I have to execute mundane activities. It frees us up. Katie, great job in your first appearance on the Process Podcast. Thank you. We would love to hear from y'all. And uh, one of our upcoming segments, we're not sure if we'll do it uh, in two weeks or in four weeks, but we want to do a mailbag segment where we answer some questions that you might have about some of these things. So whether that is you telling us about a story that you're telling yourself that isn't working very well for you anymore, or if you have a question for Katie along the neuroscience uh, perspective, or if you just want a little uh, advice about how to get more done, but do it in a meaningful way, we would love to hear from you at podcast at createyourprocess.com. That's the email address, podcast at createyourprocess.com. If you'd like to learn more about The Process, which is this uh, company that we run, go to createyourprocess.com. And uh, we'll be back for more in a couple of weeks. 